and welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist and personal trainer, and I live on a small hobby farm. I have a huge passion for bodybuilding, but I don't fall into the typical bodybuilding mold. The naysayers, they can have their bro science. Yep, I said it. I'm a natural health and nutrition nerd. Some would call me a granola, but that couldn't be further from the wrong word. I stay away from the typical processed, standard American diet, and I don't eat granola. I created this podcast to share my health journey and the many things I've learned in my quest to find what it takes to live a mindful, happy, balanced life for all humans, not just athletes. I hope to help you discover your inner nerd and help you make some hefty deposits into your knowledge bank account that can help you crack your health code. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode. It's me, Connie, your host, and I know you haven't heard from just a little old me in a while. I've had so many great opportunities to have fantastic guests on the podcast, and so today... I know that in the leading podcast leading up to this, I had kind of talked about how I was going to be doing a 120-mile bicycle race, and so I figured rather than bring a guest on, I would actually just recap on what got me to that point, why I decided to do it, and then what I did in order to train and fuel my body for the race. So anyway, the race was yesterday. It went really well, and I'm excited to dive into everything about it. Um, I know that I have some pretty new listeners out there, and so many of you guys may not really know my story. So I'm going to kind of preface this podcast with a little bit of a rewind and kind of catch you up to speed with a little bit about me, considering we have been talking so much to other guests that I feel like I haven't divulged a ton of information there. So I'm not going to rewind too far because I really don't want to get too crazy and you guys don't have that much time to spend listening to me ramble on about everything. So I'm just going to rewind to about June of 2019 where I had just finished my last bodybuilding show and I was in extremely rough shape. I had gone through multiple contest preps with extreme caloric restrictions, way too much training and my adrenals were fried. I finished my last show, pretty much never started to feel better after that, which I had expected to start feeling better once I started gaining some body fat, because most of the time when you're super lean, you don't feel real great anyways. You're kind of tired, sluggish, and that's just your body's response to being lean, because When your body is super lean and you're in a super deficit, it's trying to conserve all energy stores. And so even if you don't know it, your body is doing these crazy things like down-regulating even your neat exercise or your neat activity. So like if you're uh, a finger tapper or somebody that's fidgety, your body will automatically down-regulate all of that in order to conserve energy and you may not even have noticed it. So more often than not, when you're in contest prep and you're super lean, you just aren't really excited about doing anything. You're pretty tired and pretty sluggish. So anyway, I had just come out of my show. It was expected that I feel tired and sluggish. However, through that whole contest prep I felt like there was something wrong. But then when I would talk to my coach and peers about it, they basically all 
said the same thing. Well, when you get super lean, you're in the end stages of prep, then it just happens. That's how it goes. So anyway, I totally was like, okay, I guess this is how it is. I'll get better when I gain some body fat back. Well, after my last show, I did not start to get better after I gained body fat back and uh, it piled on quickly. I am very meticulous about what I eat. I eat a very clean diet. At the time, I was not ketogenic. I was mostly paleo, a pretty strict paleo. Um, and we ate only really clean food, not a lot of sugar. The only kind of carbohydrates you would probably see me eating was like sweet potato or maybe some fruit. I would enjoy a banana from every now and then. Um, so a super, super clean diet. Anyway, I started to gain weight back rapidly and I felt absolutely horrible. My body felt super heavy all the time. I would have numbness in my face. Um, My legs felt like they weighed 100 pounds. It was really, really, really bad. And I gained a bunch of body fat back, about 40 pounds worth. And even then, I did not start to feel better. So I had my blood work done with my general practitioner. They said I was fine multiple times. And I knew there was something serious and I needed to get to the bottom of it. So there is a functional... Um, therapy doctor in our area. I went to her. She ran all my panels and she said, actually, Connie, you know, you're not doing terrible, but you have HPA axis dysfunction, uh, which is a form of adrenal fatigue, just to put it um, in an easy, understandable way. Um, And also, I believe that you have Hashimoto's disease. Your TPO in your blood work is Uh, outrageous. So a normal TPO for people would be like a 35. I was up in the thousands. So she said, you have major thyroid problems. So I think I had always probably struggled more than likely with thyroid problems and was never diagnosed. However, going into extreme contest preps, it's my belief that I actually caused the Hashimoto's to get much, much worse. It put a lot of stress on my body doing all those contest preps. And so I was pretty wiped out. So after my show, it took about a year to try to dial in what was going on with me and what I needed to do in order to start to feel better. Meanwhile, I backed off my lifting considerably. Um, I used to be a six day a weeker, two hours in the gym, the whole bit. I backed it off considerably. I was doing probably four days a week of training, still heavy training, moved into more of a powerlifting style of training, less bodybuilding style. And even then my body just still felt horrible. I was dragging myself into the gym every day. I continued to gain weight. It was a really bad mental game, even though I was in a huge caloric deficit, guys. And this is part of the reason why I do not believe that it is just calories in, calories out. I was so scared of the amount of weight that I was gaining that I was eating 12 or 1300 calories a day. I was counting every single calorie, weighing my food by the gram, doing enough cardio to to put myself in a deficit, um, which 1300 calories is already a deficit. But when you come out of a bodybuilding show, um, your basal metabolic rate is significantly decreased because your body is conserving that energy. So there are a lot of metabolic adaptations that happen when you come out of a show. So anyway, I 
fought and fought and fought with my weight. It was really, really, really bad. Um, and also, uh, the amount of energy that I had, I felt absolutely horrible. So I started to try to biohack my training a little bit because I don't really know what overtraining is and what it's not. I'm one of these people that feel like if I wake up and I'm just not feeling it, especially if you've been tired and uh, had a lot of fatigue like I had, that you're more than likely just being a chicken. And I didn't want to be one of these people that was like, oh, I'm not feeling it today, so I'm not going to the gym. I have a hard time deciphering whether I'm actually tired or if I'm just being lazy. So because of that, I have always trained at 150%, even if I do not feel well. Uh, and so I had a very hard time deciphering that. And I decided that I would start watching my heart rate variability in order to make sure that I wasn't overtraining. And in the process of watching my heart rate variability, I noticed that my body was not recovering from workouts, which I had already known before, but it's just kind of this misnomer that if you work out a lot, you're going to be sore, which I think that soreness or um, what we like to call DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness, is not actually conducive to making progress. So a lot of people think, yes, I'm sore. This is awesome. Well, not necessarily. It may be your body's inability to either clear the toxins that it's making while uh, you're, you're tearing down the muscle, or it may be your body cannot fully recover enough from your workout. So it's not necessarily a good thing. And I was sore all the time, but I always thought that it was fine. And I was just exhausted all the time, so I learned that I didn't really know what my body needed. So let's rewind a little bit. I start watching my heart rate variability, and it's really horrible. <laughs> At one point, one of my friends is like, holy cow, Connie, this, that is so bad. And so I start watching my heart rate variability, and in this process, I started being able to understand when my body was recovered and willing to train and when it wasn't. Now there's multiple ways you can do this. You can get a whoop strap. You can get an aura ring. Um, my Apple watch tracks it. So I'll go look at the very first thing in the morning number. Uh, a lot of the other things like the aura ring and the whoop strap, they actually give you a score. So that's super convenient. Uh, I know me, I have to kind of calculate my stuff myself based on the feedback that my Apple watch gives me, which can sometimes be a little bit difficult because obviously you want to wear your watch during the day, but you do need to wear it at night also in order to see what that heart rate variability is in the mornings. So anyway, it, that made things a little bit complicated. Uh, it took me a little bit to figure out my charging schedule. So I get home and pop my watch on the charger when I get off of work and then try to get it back on before bedtime. So um, I would highly recommend an aura ring or a whoop strap if you're really wanting to dive into heart rate variability. But needless to say, I started looking into my heart rate variability and seeing that I was or wasn't recovered and I had to lighten my workouts up considerably in order to start recovering from them. While all of this is going on, I start this powerlifting. My body's doing a little bit better, but it still wasn't great. And uh, I decided after listening to a million podcasts that I needed to experiment with the carnivore diet because nothing else was working, not paleo, nothing. 
And at the time, I was kind of scared of the lack of carbs because of the bodybuilding mentality. So it was a little scary to dive into that. But I really had nothing to lose because I looked like crap. I had so much inflammation going on. And I just needed to do something to try to reset my body. So I started the carnivore diet. I did it for about eight weeks. And in that eight weeks, I dropped a ton of inflammation. Uh, My lifts were pretty good in the gym. Things were seeming to get a little bit better, but I still was dealing with the chronic fatigue and the lack of not caring about anything like total exhaustion. I know if you go back and listen to my episode with Austin Stout and I, you can hear exactly how I felt. It was pretty dang horrible. So um, anyways, uh, while I was squatting in the gym on powerlifting, I tore my labrum. And in that process, they found out that I needed to have major surgery on my hip uh, because my acetabulums had some problems with them. And so they went in and did this major surgery in February, and I wasn't able to lift after that anyways. So I basically had to stop lifting, and here I was, extremely concerned about my weight, kind of in a panic because I can't keep the weight off when I am working out. What am I going to do if I'm having surgery? And it was really a hard mental game because I try to be reasonable with myself, having been in the bodybuilding realm for a little bit, I realized that what you see on stage is not real. It is that way for a couple of days. And after that, you have to get normal again. You have to gain a little bit of body fat. A lot of this stuff you see is really false information that we're giving to women out there as to how they should look. So I knew that I couldn't maintain that level of leanness However, I still wanted to look like I worked out. I mean, I'm a personal trainer. I'm really super into fitness. It was very hard to see myself look the way that I did, but you could almost see it in pictures and in everything. I had so much inflammation. So in the process of the carnivore diet, I lost a ton of inflammation and I felt a lot better, but still had some fatigue going on. It wasn't until my surgery that I took all this downtime. I started to feel a little better, but still had quite a bit of fatigue going on. I ended up changing functional doctors and I found one that was very good with hormones and thyroid and through some medications and some hormone replacement therapy, we got me back on track and I started to feel better. And right about this time, I was given the clear from my doctor. This was about May to start riding a bicycle. They said I couldn't load my hip at all, but I could ride a bike. And I had a nice little road bike. I, in the previous years, had ridden it back and forth to work in order to get some extra calories burned because you got to think about it. I'm always thinking about how I look. And I would use that bike just for extra time, basically, to be doing cardio. So I was like, well, cool. I'll start riding my bike. So I started riding my bike every day uh, for like a half an hour which then moved into about 45 minutes. I was riding about 10 miles a day. And so then I was like, well, you know, one day a week, I'm going to do a long ride. And so one day a week, I started doing a long ride. My long ride consisted of about 14 miles. And it seemed like a ton to me. 14 miles was like, whoa, this is crazy, you know? (laughs) And I don't know how, but eventually my rides just got longer and longer. I was taking more time in the mornings. We would go camping 
and I would ride on the weekends. We have a favorite camping spot and it's in the middle of nowhere and there's miles and miles of roads, beautiful scenery. And it got to where I was doing like 50 miles without even thinking about it. And it felt good on my hip. And the other thing I noticed was I was lifting a lot less weights at that point. I had been cleared to lift weights, but I was only doing it two or three times a week, super light in my basement studio. And I noticed that my body really loved cycling, which is really weird. And it's low impact. So my heart rate variability was wonderful. I lost a ton of inflammation and I started to feel so much better, a lot less fatigue when I backed off the weightlifting. So in about July, I'm on this 50 mile ride and I'm, I'm like in my head, I think of all these crazy things. I was like, you know, I think I could do a, bo- a bicycle race. I think that that would be fun. And I, and I mean, we no sooner got into signal and my husband and I, I'm on my phone and I was like, Hey, there's going to be a bicycle race right in the town next to us. And it's 120 miles. And then they also have a 90 mile and a 50 mile. And I said, maybe I could do the 50 mile. But then I was like, well, I'm already doing a 50 mile. I think I could do a hundred. So anyway, it progressed into me thinking, okay, can I, can I train for this? Really? Is this realistic? I ride probably 60 or 70 miles a week. Uh, can this happen? So I reach out to one of my friends, Frida, who likes to do bicycle stuff and she's a great athlete. And I was like, well, what do you think of this? Do you think I could be ready? And she's like, oh yeah, you totally could be ready. And at this point I had started on a ketogenic diet back in March because I noticed that when I eliminated carbohydrates, I was significantly better in the inflammation department. So I had already reduced my carbs. I was mostly ketogenic. And I kind of noticed in this process with being ketogenic and doing a lot of intermittent fasting that I don't build a lot of lactic acid when I'm on a ketogenic diet. And the reason for that is, is glucose is a dirty fuel. The byproduct of glucose is lactate. That's not something you necessarily want brewing if you're trying to be an endurance athlete. Now, I understand all these bodybuilders, gym bros, all these people, they're like, hey, you can't get gains in the gym. You can't even get a pump on when you're ketogenic and all that stuff. Well, that may be true in the bodybuilding industry, but when you're cycling or doing endurance sports, lactic acid is the devil. You probably all have been there where you're running or you're cycling or you're doing something and your legs are so tired and they're burning and they feel heavy. Well, that's our friend lactic acid. So then I started really nerding out on the ketogenic diet. And in this process, my body continued to lose weight and kind of stabilize. Now, granted, I had medications on board, but I also significantly backed off my lifting in order to pursue my goal to do a 120 mile bicycle race. So in the process, I decide, you know, everybody says that you can't do this as a ketogenic athlete, but I don't see what the problem is with it. I've been doing it for a couple of months now and I've noticed some great byproducts of that. So anyway, biggest byproduct being not generating lactic acid. And so I started training for this race and kind of really fell in love with biking. And 
I didn't just fall in love with biking because it was just something to do. But what I noticed, and as crazy as this is, the more time I spent on the bicycle, the less time I spent in the mirror at the gym or in my studio working out to try to change myself. And that is a super deep revelation when it comes to your own body. And I mean, I'm not going to say I had a horrible body image. I tried to have a positive one because I understand what's realistic and what's not. But it became this chore. Like you have so much pressure on you, which you're placing on yourself, right? You, you're you so worried about what others think. And that's you're placing all that pressure on yourself. It has nothing to do with with what others think, but I felt like I had this standard to live up to. Like I was a bodybuilder and I was in the best shape of my life. And now I have to uphold that in order to appease everybody around me. And also I'm a certified personal trainer and I'm a certified nutritionist who would go to a nutritionist that doesn't look like they know what they're talking about and who would go to a personal trainer that doesn't look like they're jacked and work out. And so I almost kind of put myself in this box and I was trying to be what I thought others would want to see if it came to them choosing who they wanted to have as their trainer or their nutritionist or somebody that they um, assimilated themselves with or, hey, this Connie over here, she's my friend. She's super jacked. Like I started putting myself in this box, this box that said I could only look one way. And it became this chore every single time I would work out of trying to improve what I looked like, which is okay if you are trying to improve what you look like. But gym almost became this form of self-punishment. Like I would go in there and be upset because what I looked in, in the mirror and I saw was not what I wanted to see. And I would like have this thought, like I work so freaking hard for this body and I don't look like I work out which was partly because of my adrenals and my thyroid and all these things. My body was not responding well to me and what I was doing to it because it was so tired. And it was not only physically tired, but it was mentally tired. I pushed for so long that I literally beat my body down and it did not want to try for me anymore. So I noticed when I was cycling, I had like this epiphany and it was that when I'm on the bicycle, I am not trying to look good for anybody else. I'm not trying to beat my body into something it doesn't want to be. I'm just trying to be a better person every time I get on that bike. And I got on Strava, which was really cool. It tracks all your workouts and stuff. And when I started seeing those PRs and you know, better, shorter times, faster climbs, better segments, because if anybody has Strava, they know they time your segments. So, and it's kind of against everybody in your area. So if you get a PR or you get a a top of the list, you're going to be, it's going to say you're the top person in this segment. And then it gives something, somebody else to go beat basically. And so what I started noticing 
was all of these changes that had nothing to do with the way that I looked, which was a pretty deep thing. And I started really thinking about it. And then all of a sudden I noticed my mental state was so much better now that I was back to exercising for my health and my mental clarity and not to try to look some way to fit into some kind of box. And I was like kind of mind blown because it was like, wow, I completely stopped thinking about what I looked like. There were times, I'm not going to say there weren't because there were times where I would look and I was like, man, I don't like this in the mirror. We're women. I think we're all self-critical. But I started to find this homeostasis with my mind. Look what my body can do. I don't care what it looks like. Look what it can do. It's setting PRs. It is climbing this mountain. It is doing this 50 miles and it is doing it well for me. Who gives a shit what you look like? right? And so my mindset totally changed. The other part of this puzzle is that here I am, I'm getting into cycling. I really love it. I wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning. I go out, I ride. The world isn't awake yet. The sun is coming up. The birds are chirping. It is the most healthy mental thing I think a person could do to go out, wake up early in the morning and watch the sun rise and breathe the, the, the fresh air. It's incredible. I mean, it, it's like it's it sets the stage for your whole day. And the other thing I noticed as I'm getting into this cycling is instead of on social media following all these bodybuilders and fitness people and things, I started hashtagging things with bicycle stuff. And next thing you know, my news feed starts to be full of bicycle stuff. Slowly... Thank you, Instagram, for stalking everybody and putting on what they talk about (laughs) and what they look up. Next thing you know, my Instagram is full of people on bicycles and no longer photos of people's outrageous physiques that who knows what they're doing to keep that physique. I'm not, I am not a person that's against people if they want to use things to look a certain way. It's not for me. I don't think it's for a lot of people and I don't think they understand it and, and, uh, and understand the long-term ramifications of it. However, that's not my thing to say. It's their body. They can do what they want. But a lot of people's enhanced physiques really make it hard for people on the outside to understand what it is to look like a normal human being. They get this picture in their head of what a fit person looks like. This is also the same problem I have with like Beachbody and all of these programs that are on television and on-demand workouts. All of these fitness models jumping around up on stage, having you do this workout, have you doing this workout to believe that you're going to look like them? which is totally incorrect. It's not even close. They diet down to look that way, you guys. And if you don't believe that, look it up. There are plenty of podcasts out there of previous fitness models. I can recall listening to one. I don't remember her name, but she said she was nearly dead going to film a fitness video. And when she got there, they told her to lose another five pounds. She said at that point she had been been working out like three times a day for multiple hours of cardio, trying to get shredded for these videos. And she showed up and they said, you need to lose five pounds. And at that point, she's like, I felt like I was nearly dead. But what did I do? I went and lost five pounds. And then 
you have her on the screen doing this workout and all these women of America trying to look like this woman. It is completely wrong. So anyway, going to drop off of that horse and not talk much more about it. But what I do want to say is subliminally, even though I didn't know what was going on, my newsfeed changed, the things I was feeding my brain changed, and next thing you know, I started feeling a whole lot better about myself. And I feel like when that stress went away of the stress of being a mom, the stress of working a full-time job and then working another full-time job as a personal trainer and a nutritionist, and then life stress, bills, finances, stack a lot of training on top of that, and then stack ultimate stress of fitting yourself in a box and trying to look the way you think people think you should look, especially as a personal trainer and a previous bodybuilder. It was a heavy, heavy, heavy load. And we all have our loads that we carry. Yours may not be how you look, but I know many, many women that struggle with this immensely. So things started to change for me when I stopped trying to look the way I wanted other people to see me and I started focusing on not eating sugar. That was a big thing. We'll throw that in there. But started focusing on setting PRs and performing and performance nutrition. My whole body changed. I did not count calories I wasn't starving to death anymore. I was feeding my body good food and it began to reward me. And it wasn't just the food I put in my mouth. It was the food I put in my brain too. So I want to emphasize I was eating a lot and I began to lose a large amount of weight. So anyway, I currently have lost nearly 20 pounds I look really great. I have a lot of people that compliment me. Not that that matters, but what I'm saying is is it's not just me that feels like I've noticed. It's the people around me. And not only have they noticed the weight loss, they have noticed that my spark has come back. And that is a huge thing. And my spark, I really have to say, I can contribute it to riding my bicycle. It has been one of the most mentally healthy things that I think I've done for myself in a while. Anyway, let's get back to the race. So everybody I'm sure is probably going, hey, Connie, so why the heck are you signing up to do some crazy thing? Well, there's also this part of me that feels like we need to be able to mentally push ourselves a little bit. I think that it is an extremely good quality I think not only mentally, but physically, I think too much of this world is happy with just coasting and being comfortable. And I don't think when we are coasting and being comfortable that we are pushing our mind and our body that extra bit that we need to in order to improve. Now, I'm not saying you've got to go out and sign up for a 120-mile bicycle race or a marathon, or a bodybuilding show. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if we all pushed ourselves outside of our comfort zone a little bit every day, can you think of the changes that would happen? 
This could be mentally, this could be physically, this could be with our career, this could be with our education, this could be with the effort we put into our families or our home. So many facets of this is could be exponentially rewarding for, for anyone. So I think that it's very important to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone a little bit. I think that's where people learn the most about themselves and also where they begin to thrive. So anyway, I might like to push my body a little bit more outside of my comfort zone than most. I feel like I really thrive when I have very lofty goals. That also does place a little bit of extra stress on myself that is probably not necessary. However, I think when I get into a dark spot and by dark, I don't mean like depression. I mean like physically challenging spot, a place where I have to really hone in and focus and fight off those demons. And by demons, I mean like say you are running a marathon and your body starts to hurt and you start to get tired. We've all been in that place where you're doing some kind of hard physical work and your brain starts trying to talk you out of it. It's like this, this game, like the little voice is like, it's okay. You can stop or turn around. Or even with school, you're working so hard on your education and your mind is like, eh, it's okay. I can just get a job. I don't need to finish this. And I think that naturally it's a great protective mechanism for our body to do this. If our body didn't do this, we would freeze to death or burn or whatever, starve. But I think we need to be able to control what our mind is telling us. And I really feel like when I get into that spot where I really have to overcome something that is extremely physically hard, that is something that is not mandatory. So I don't have to be out there on the bike. I don't have to be in the gym. I don't have to be doing these things. I fully have the option to turn around and say no, but I don't because I like the climb and I like the journey and I like getting on top of that mountain and feeling incredible. I can't tell you how many times while I was training for this Grand Fondo, how many times I would be doing a hill climb and I was like, I can turn around. I don't have to do it all the day. I can do it tomorrow. My brain just started going to all these places or a couple weeks ago, I rode my bike all the way up the going to the sun road at Glacier National Park to Logan Pass And it was about a 6% grade for 30 miles. And it was a terrible burner. It was a grind. And about two miles from the top, things started to get really hard. I started to get tired. And that little voice started going off. It was like, you can just turn around. It's okay. You don't have to go to the top. You made it most of the way, right? It's okay. And I think we all struggle with this voice somewhere in our life. It may not be fitness, but I love to conquer that voice. And I can tell you, if I had turned around that two miles from the top of Glacier National Park, I would not have been rewarded. I probably would have been disappointed and wished I went that extra two miles. And when I got to the top of that, it was the most rewarding feeling. So finishing something, whether it's a small climb, school, whatever, it's going to pay you back. And sometimes you have to step outside of your comfort zone and able to achieve these feelings of extreme accomplishment. So I decided that I wanted to push and do a race where I could 
have to mentally grind it out. So I started training for this Grand Fondo, I, which was 120 miles and 7,100 feet of elevation gain. So it's not like I was doing 120 miles on the flat. There were some brutal hill climbs. I started training for this and I thoroughly enjoyed every part of the journey. Not to say every morning I sprung out of bed and jumped on my bike. That's not how it went. There were definitely some days where I was tired and I didn't want to get out of bed, but I knew that the end goal was going to be rewarding. And I can't tell you how scared I was even the day before the race if I couldn't finish it. Like, what if I couldn't? And I had all these things that weren't quite dialed in yet. My feet have been a problem for biking. They go numb frequently. We've tried everything. And I was really worried for my feet and much so less worried than for my muscle, how much muscle I had to propel me that that way. And like I said before, I was ketogenic and I discovered that you could really keep lactic acid at bay if you don't have a lot of carbohydrates. So I spent a majority of my time in ketosis. However, I am not a keto evangelist. I think that everything happens in cycles. And I see a lot of keto people throwing stones out there saying, well, you're not fat adapted. And that's why you don't lose weight and uh, fat adaptation and metabolic flexibility. But I think part of metabolic flexibility is being able to go both ways. So For the keto evangelists out there, that's great. It works wonderful for you. But what happens when you're not carb adapted? I mean, I think that they need to be cycled in a little. So here and there, I would cycle in a small amount of clean carbohydrates. I'm talking sweet potato, um, maybe some honey or maple syrup. I noticed that honey would drive my blood sugar up a little bit more than I wanted it to be. And I'm very big fan of blood sugar control. So maple syrup worked okay. Um, Rice, a small amount. It's another one that can be a little finicky. But I started incorporating some clean carbohydrates, not a bunch of sugar, maybe a banana. And I started noticing that if I was in ketosis all week and then I would have one high carb day, my body seemed to thrive even more. And by high carb day, I'm not saying I went out and had ice cream. I'm saying I incorporated what I just told you some sweet potato or whatever. And it usually was like 150 grams. And the more efficient my body got at burning fat, the easier it started moving back and forth from being able to burn carbs and then able to burn fat. But what I noticed the most was that I would incorporate the carbs a little bit before my long ride during the week. And then because of that long ride, I would do the carbs like the day before it would suck up all the carbs that I ate and then I would remain in ketosis. So I kind of dialed in my cycle to where I could pull in some carbs here and there and I would remain in ketosis, which is where I felt best. And also while remaining in ketosis, I noticed that I didn't build lactic acid. And I can tell you that I am real in my thinking with this because when we went to Glacier National Park a couple weeks ago, we were camping and I was eating um, gluten-free graham crackers and popcorn and some refried beans that I made for taco night when we were camping. Also, I was drinking some ciders and I was enjoying myself. I told myself I wanted to, to just kind of kick back and enjoy my weekend. And I was putting a lot of miles on the bicycle. And so 
I was able to handle that sugar load. And during that whole time, because I was so active, my blood sugar remained pretty stable, which I'm very fortunate for because in the past that wouldn't have been that way. I was so metabolically broken that my blood sugar was raging out of control. So getting that fixed and the ketogenic diet held hands big time for me on that one. I think that it is what saved me from becoming a type two diabetic or worse. So I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful that I can cycle it now because my body is so used to switching between fuel sources. It is a piece of cake for me to get into ketosis. And I also handle carbs pretty well. So once I started cycling in carbs, I realized that it would give me the burst of energy for the more glycolytic part of the rides, like climbing and things like that, because fat kind of oxidates at like, in the, I mean, everybody's a little bit different. Um, there's several variances, but um, the fat oxidation happens a lot when you're at a lower heart rate. So like um, some people would say it's at about 130, for example. Well, that's great if you can keep your heart rate at 130, but when you're climbing a mountain, it is just more glycolytically demanding. And so I felt that by remaining in ketosis and pulling in just enough carbs to help that glycolytic demand worked wonders because I was in ketosis up to that point, no lactic acid buildup, pulled in the carbs right when I started the activity and that's when I got the best training uh, response, I guess you'd say. So going into that and seeing how well it did, I experimented with it multiple times. I decided that I was going to pull that into my race. Now, the benefit of being a fat adapted athlete is that every person I was riding with was eating every 35 minutes. Lots of sugar, goose. Um, high sugary granola bars, candy, anything they could to keep themselves going. And I didn't eat for almost the whole ride. And they kept going, don't you need to eat something? Don't you need to eat something? And I was like, no, I'm doing pretty well. So on several of the climbs, before the climb started, I brought in about 35 grams of carbs. And it helped me sustain everything all the way up the hill through the glycolytically demanding part of the this segment of the race. So that was really, really cool. I did carb load the day before, which was something I had experimented with. And I was a little bit afraid of getting some lactic acid from that. But I think because I went carbless basically the whole week prior to that, that I was able to utilize everything that was there and not have too many byproducts. Now I'm no scientist, so I don't know how this worked, but I'm just telling you it worked for me. So ketogenic all week in ketosis at like a 2.7 millimolar. And then the Friday before the race, I had a carbohydrate meal. I had shrimp and grits because that is my favorite. I am a huge grits fan. If you see that on a menu, you can guarantee I'm ordering it. Uh, so uh, I had shrimp and grits the night before the race. The morning of the race, I woke up. I wanted to eat something light. I didn't want to load myself down with a bunch of eggs and cheese and sausage like I normally would. Uh, super protein dense meal doesn't sit on my stomach well if I'm headed into a race, but I also knew I was going to be in an extremely caloric demanding 
situation. And so I wanted to get something on board. So I had two pieces of gluten-free toast and an egg. And then I left for my race. I ate three of these little gel gummies that have vitamin C and um, just straight dextrose in them. Um, if you are fueling for a race, dextrose is the best fuel as far as sugar goes because it is burned instantly. The minute it touches your tongue, it doesn't have to be processed through the liver. So extremely important the kind of carbohydrate you bring in. This carbohydrate I brought in was straight dextrose. So throughout the race, I had three of them. Each package is 90 calories and about 30 grams of carbs. And it worked wonders for me. And I also had one Lara bar, granola bar, about halfway through the day. Those are 190 calories and I think about 35 grams of carbs. So anyway, I was able to complete a whole race. I had a chest strap heart rate monitor on and I, according to that, burned 5,800 calories, nearly 5,800. It was a couple, couple shy of that, but um, nearly 5,800 calories when I only brought in about 500 for the whole race. And I was sustained. My blood sugar was perfect. And when I got home, my ketones were at one millimolar. So even though I had lots of carbohydrates, I remained in ketosis and I had a fantastic race. It was amazing crossing the finish line. I made a lot of friends throughout the race. Everybody was super supportive of each other. The morning started out a little bit rough. I'm not going to lie. I woke up and it was pouring rain. I have race slicks on my bike, so it was super nerve wracking. Um, not having ridden in the rain much, I was afraid that I was going to slide out and also soaking wet. Who wants to ride in, in the rain <laughs> for what they think is going to be like 10 mile, 10 hours on a bike and 120 miles. So anyway, I left in the pouring rain. I could not get my heart rate under control. I think that the adrenaline initially was insane. Uh, before I even hit the starting line, when I was putting my stuff on and getting ready to go, my heart rate before I even climbed on the bike was 147. So adrenaline jump, it happened. And the first two hills, I screamed up them. I set PRs on them. I had been training on them to be prepared for the race. I set PRs on them and I was screaming up the hills so fast. And at the whole time I was going, I got to slow down. I got to slow down because I have a whole lot of race ahead of me. So I was trying to slow down. And then on the other downside of the hill, I've got these racing slicks on. I don't have disc brakes. The water, I mean, it is pouring and I have vents on the bottom of my shoes. The water is flowing into my shoes. It is like an ocean in my shoes, literally had water sloshing around. <laughs> and my feet started to go numb because the vents on the shoes were blowing all this cold air in on top of water and the numbness started to happen. It was kind of outside of my control. I, I had everybody that I passed going up the hill, passed me back going down the hill because I was so scared to go fast and crash. And my main focus was to just finish this race. I didn't have any high aspirations of placing, which is a really good thing for me because I'm super competitive. So anyway, uh, 
I got to the first, no, the second aid station, which was about 40 miles in and there were heated bathrooms there. I went into the bathroom and I took my shoes off and I tried rubbing my feet and literally no feeling. It was like I went to the dentist and got that shot in my mouth. And you know how weird your mouth feels when you're like patting your skin, yet there's nothing, you can't feel anything. And that's how my feet were. And I walked around the bathroom for a couple of minutes with no shoes on, rang the water out of my socks, tried to get the feeling back and I couldn't. And it was in, like extremely painful. Like when your feet get cold and you're just like, like freezing and it's extreme pain and I didn't have anything I could do about it. I was a little concerned because I was like, what if I don't ever get the feeling back on my feet or what if I'm cycling and something happens and I don't know it because I can't feel my feet. That's how people get seriously injured. But I made the decision to continue on by then the rain had kind of backed off and it was almost stopped. And so I continued on with the race and about another 10 miles after that, my feet were so numb that they weren't even painful anymore, which I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I'm assuming it's a pretty bad thing, but I made the decision to keep going because everything else felt great aside from the fact I was soaked completely all the way through. So there was a huge climb out of the second age station. And at the end of that climb, I met with another gal that was from, uh, Washington and she was very, very nice. And she was taking it easy up the hills and kind of struggling with them a little bit. And she was all by herself. And so we started talking and she was like, I was kind of afraid of the woods because I've, I, I am all by myself. And I was like, well, I'll start riding with you. So for the next 60 miles, we rode with each other, which was really great. And in the last 25 miles of the race, um, her family and friends that went with her and raced the shorter distance came back and picked her up and brought her home to the finish line. So at that point I basically left them and I was able to pass a lot of people and make a lot better time. My husband had me on a beacon and he was like, Holy cow, she's moving at that point. I knew I was going to finish the race and I felt great. And so I just pushed it all the way back into the finish line. And you know, the, probably the most rewarding part of it all was like not just finishing the race, but my daughter was so excited and my husband and my mother-in-law, everybody was so happy. My husband, he chased me around in the car for part of the race and took video and pictures. Then he takes my daughter to her soccer game. Then they come back and meet me on the course and my daughter's got pom-poms and they want high fives while I'm cycling by. And the looks on her, my daughter's face especially was priceless because she was so happy out to see me out there doing it. And when I crossed the finish line, I was like, holy cow, I did it. Like coming in home, I knew I was there and the feeling was just exponential because I was so afraid of not finishing this race. <laughs> the last hill, I'm not going to lie, I cussed it like crazy because I was a little over the big hill climbs. <laughs> But once I got to the top, I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I had already set my mind to it. And so I ended up finishing the race. Uh, it took me nine hours and four minutes. And it was an incredible experience. I've got to say I'm hooked. Um, now that I know that I can finish 120 miles and that it's a piece of cake, because I literally, I'm not saying, oh, that was easy. I could do it. No problem but I had a lot left in the tank. I'm not sore the next day. Only thing that's really hurts is my feet because they didn't gain regain the feeling in them until probably the middle of the night that night. 
and they're super sore today, but they're okay. There's no blisters or anything on them. So thank God for that. Uh, they were, they were in pretty rough shape. I know I took my shoes off as soon as I got to the finish line and just started walking around in the grass, the wet grass with my, my bare feet. So anyway, it was a, an amazingly rewarding experience because I had to conquer mental demons during the race, especially on some of those nasty hill climbs. The ones saying, okay, you have the option. You can do a smaller race because, because of COVID they, told people and the weather because it was extremely smoky here for a while. And then the rain, they told people if they didn't want to do the full 120 grand Fondo, they could cut the loop off and do the 80 mile race instead. And I'm not going to lie. My brain was going, you're wet, you're tired. You can't feel your feet. Just do the 80 miler. But I had trained so hard to do the 120 and I wanted to conquer that. I think the 80 would have left me extremely unsatisfied. It may have been rewarding at the time while my feet were hurting, but after I got back, I would have regretted it. So I'm so happy I stuck with it and committed to doing that extra loop. And I am not done with bicycle racing. (laughs) I can tell you that. I think that I'm going to be up to doing some more of that. I know I've had a lot of big things on my bucket list that I've never done. And this has kind of opened the doors to some of those as well. So anyway, that's a little bit about my experience with my 120 mile Grand Fondo. It was extremely rewarding. You're not going to see me quit lifting weights anytime soon, but I'm going to lift weights as much as my body loves to do it, not push my body to look like something else. I'm doing it for health I'm doing it for strength and longevity. I'm not trying to go in the gym and change the way I look. And that's been a great thing as far as cycling goes. I know I have trimmed out a lot. I've lost a lot of muscle through partially not working out and then also just doing a lot of cardio. I think it has been a little bit rough on my muscle mass, but my body is happy and it likes to do it. And I am happy and I feel good about my body. I'm, I know I don't have these great big muscles. I still look like I work out. Uh, but that's, was another really humbling thing about this bicycle race. I think everybody has this idea of what an athlete should look like or what somebody who is in shape should look like. And I have to say this, I have been passed by so many people that were a lot bigger than me that were kicking my ass. And it's not just in cycling. It's in a lot of sports. There are people out there of every shape, size, color, you name it, just being the boss of athletics and of fitness. And just because they don't look like some fitness influencer, we place judgment on them right away as a society. And it's like, oh, that person's not in shape. Well, let me tell you, buddy, a lot of the people that I saw in that bicycle race yesterday that were blowing by me and I could have never kept up with were people that didn't look like they were fitness people. So that means you need to check yourself at the door when you start thinking of placing somebody into a category because you just never know. Well, everybody, that pretty much wraps up how my race went on Saturday. 
I hope that this was an interesting episode for you. I wanted to just kind of feel everybody in on how it went since I know I had brought it up in previous podcasts. I also think that I need to spend a little bit more time talking on this podcast solo every once in a while and kind of filling people in on the happenings with what's going on with me and the way that I do things and all that because I I think that I spend a lot of time bringing on these wonderful guests and I love them to pieces. However, I've kind of got to throw some of my own thoughts in there sometimes and I know I get these wonderful thoughts when I am working out or riding my bicycle or doing housework and then I don't write them down and next thing you know, I'm not bringing the kind of information to the table that I want to be bringing down. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please, please go leave me a review if you haven't already. Your reviews help me so much. They help this podcast be visible. They help me bring excellent guests. So I would appreciate it if you go and leave a review. It would mean the world to me. Anyway, everybody, just so you know, if you're on some kind of journey, keep going. Don't let that voice in your head stop you. Don't let it turn you around because when you make it to your destination, it is going to be rewarding. Until next time, everybody.